0: Welcome to part six of Raising an Entrepreneur, an eight part series on what we can do to help our young people become happy, creative, passionate problem solvers. Let's roll this rock. Entrepreneurs are unique. They embrace the chance to overcome obstacles, solve problems, make the world a better place, and dictate their lives on their own terms while they take on risk. These are their stories. My name is Aaron Stewart, and I have been researching and living entrepreneurship for the past 30 years. And I now welcome you to The Little Black Couch, a journey in entrepreneurship. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me today on part six of Raising an Entrepreneur. I appreciate you being here. This has been such a fun series to put together, but it has been so much work. Uh, Very fascinating, though. I started this project about 10 years ago. Uh, Originally, it was under the name of every dad and every mom, a CEO. And I purchased those domains and that's where I was going to really focus on it. And the idea was to go out and meet with really successful CEOs and talk to them about, hey, how do you, you know, treat your employees and how do you treat your family and what are the differences and what are the similarities and what do you think, you know, should be done at home differently based on your CEO experience and what do you think should be done you know, differently at work based on your home experience. And uh, it was a fascinating sort of an idea and concept, but that's what started my mind in all this, and this pathway. And so a lot of the research that we've done in entrepreneurship and education and what that does to one's perception and then going through goals and tasks and all that and how do we get somebody moving and what kind of infrastructure do we need in some of these underdeveloped countries to get that going and all of that, had brought us to a point where we also need to start worrying if we start earlier in these lives of these young people in developing countries and really everywhere, can we create a generation of supercharged problem solvers that come out and solve problems at a ridiculous rate so we can get the world to be a better place and much more quickly? And so this whole concept, this project has been about doing that. Can we do that? Can we help our children Become superhuman problem solvers that are compassionate, that enjoy problem solving, that that put forth all their resources and their experiences and all that to make the world a better place. Because that, in my estimation, is going to be the quickest way for all of us to finally abolish poverty and finally get to a place where we all enjoy things. And there's challenges in third world countries. We've got poor infrastructures. We've got um we've got a lot of the natural resources that have been uh, unfairly and uh, sadly sort of taken advantage of and so we've got some problems to deal with and these problems if they can be solved in a very unique and um inspired way we can we can get it done and solve it much more quickly So that's kind of the impetus behind all this. I don't know if I really went into it well enough to begin the show, but as I started going through some of the the series, I mean, as I started to go through some of the notes and things for the remaining three shows, this one included, I wanted to make sure that I touched on that as well. The bigger picture is we have an opportunity with this youth, this unbelievable resource um, to overcome all the lack of resources out there and solve tons more problems if we go about it the right way. That leads us into this show, which I've entitled to be The Power of Questions, Opinions, Discussions, and Negotiations. Um, that, that title could change. It, it does sometimes when I finish with the show, if there's some things that I touched on more heavily than, than I had necessarily in my outline here. But it's always fascinating to see how these shows um, shake out. So going back to part five, we talked about a lot of how the decades of research have showed us that when you ask a question, that it's a way to stop the brain from processing and spinning out of control and doing whatever and help it to calm down. Because it's focusing on, okay, there might be a behavior that I need to do here and I need to have all my attention here. And when a specific behavior then is considered through this question and has the brain's focus, then we are more likely to engage in that behavior, the behavior that has been asked about. And so forming these questions for our youth intelligently and compassionately and strategically is a really cool way of helping them develop without them really knowing what's going on And for all of us who have teenagers, (laughs) if they think that we're somehow or another trying to uh, get them to do something that they may not be interested in, the chances of them actually doing it uh, drop considerably. right? So this is a really cool way for us to take care of a lot of the the boxes, check them all off and helping our our children and our, our youth grow and become superhuman problem solvers. But to do it in a way that is, um, creates happiness for them and, and gives them the ability to be better than what they are right then. Okay, so that's what we're going to go into, sort of the art and science. And I know I like to use that word, but it really is about an art and a science to do in all these things They're, there's so much. The art side comes from our personalities, from our experiences, and the science part obviously comes from research and data. And when we combine those two, we create really amazing people and really amazing problem solvers. So uh, so what I'm about to share with you comes with a bit of a caveat in that there is a way to form questions in young minds and really there's a way to ask questions to really anybody. And if we have um, less than... Uh, honest intentions, we can be very manipulative with our questions and with the power of questions because when we understand how the brain works and we understand that questions have this sort of power and if um, we suggest a behavior after a question that that might lead that person to that particular behavior, it gives us a, a degree of power to start controlling um, minds. And so that's always the concern when you get into this type of work is that you hope that the people that are listening are concerned about really developing um, wonderful young people who are happy and well-adjusted and, and problem-solving and passionate people and not trying to uh, form them and get them into to become what this particular person wants them to become. So I, if, there's a, if there's people out there who want their children to be doctors and, and and are not taking into consideration what their kids want to do, then I would hate for them to have this power. I I don't, I don't believe that a parent has the right to decide what a child gets to do for the rest of their lives. And so that's always been sort of the pushback on this is that do not use this for ill Do not use this to control people. Use this to help people, develop people, help make them happier. And and as long as it's used that way, then awesome. I I love sharing it. And if it's not going to be used that way, then I will hunt you down (laughs) and uh, make you pay. I don't know what that means, but I just, ugh. it really worries me when we get into this. So, Okay. (sighs) So please don't be psychologically cruel. Leave that out of this discussion. So uh, questions, here we go. Intelligent questions, well-formed, can assist our children become better people. So questions like, why is being honest important? Open-ended. Why should we work hard? Do you think we should be kind? Why is being kind important? Why are having good manners important? Why is it, um, why does society think that having good manners is important? Um, Why should we treat everybody as we want ourselves to be treated? These sorts of questions are ones that, one, stop the young mind from doing whatever is going on. To ask them a question that's open-ended, allowing them to then present some kind of opinion after they thought about it a little, thought about it a little while, and then helps them to think about whatever that that behavior, whatever we're asking about, um, leads them towards that type of behavior. So, can you kind of see the power in all of this? It works with really anybody, but we as adults tend to get more. Um, let's see, opinionated and have more habits that have to be dealt with to change behavior, which has to be done in repetition, depending on how deep the neural pathway is and how wrapped it is in myelin, we have to go through a lot of work to break some of these neural pathways and these habits that we don't think about doing anymore. And so that takes a little bit more work, but with young minds where a lot of it hasn't been developed and especially minds that are less than seven years old um, that don't really have the ability to... um, to, to look at anything with a, any sort of degree of, of understanding or um, the ability to cognitively make a decision of whether it's right or wrong. They just take it in right before they're seven. It's just accepted as fact. So these types of questions can be very influential to those that are younger than seven, but they are sort of big questions. You're not going to get really in-depth, wonderful answers. That comes later. But even in young minds that haven't had the opportunity to develop these really deep neural pathways and and, and think about them, you know, gobs of times, we have the ability to then help them start developing these pathways to wonderful uh, characteristics and attributes that would bless them for the rest of their lives, and so these are the types of questions that get that done. Um, so Harvard research shows that that um, when a, a child, when anybody actually, is asked a question and then given the opportunity to give an opinion, it actually gives them a dopamine hit. the uh, The pleasure centers of the brain are lit up, and so a us, uh, when somebody else asks for our opinion, it really, it jazzes us up, makes us feel good about it. And so it's really a fun way to help children be happy, to feel, to feel good about themselves, to feel good about life, that an adult or somebody that they love is asking for an opinion is empowering and helps them develop this this idea that offering opinions, that they're valuable and that their opinions, they don't know why they feel good, but, but because they're offering their opinion, they do feel good about it. All right. So if we break down these types of questions then, then we can see the power of it. So for example, if I asked a child, hey, why do you think we should be kind? <clears throat> and they think about it and they come up with, quick drink, I apologize. And they come up with their explanations. Well, because it's nice. Well, because it makes somebody else happy. Well, because then I feel good about myself or whatever, right? Whatever they come up with, they will offer their opinion. These are the reasons why you should be kind. One, leading them to the uh, behavior of being kind, which is wonderful. Two, allowing them to give an opinion. Again, dopamine hit, which is wonderful. And then giving them the ability to start thinking about other people, right? This idea of being kind obviously is to other people, right? They're the beneficiaries of us being kind and getting them this idea of reaching out and being connected, also wonderful. So those are how these questions become very, very powerful. Um, And one of the, and, and, and these types of behavior can help our children overcome maybe some difficulties they're having and help them to open their minds a little bit and be a little bit more accepting of maybe something they're not totally thrilled with at any given time. And I really saw this work out very well in our own family. We had a, we had a little house and at one time when we first moved into it, so we have three children. And at this particular time, our youngest was just a baby. So when we moved into this house, we had her crib upstairs, so it was convenient for us. And it was in this corner room that eventually became the office. But at that time, it was her, the baby's room. And then we had a guest room that my mother happened to be living in at the particular time. And then we had three bedrooms downstairs, one of which was being occupied by my um, sister-in-law as she was um, single going to school and um, needed a place to stay and she's a, she was a wonderful help back then so she was staying with us and then we had the two boys actually sharing a a bigger room the biggest room downstairs because the third bedroom we found out had some was was built improperly and had they had basically boarded over a window so every time it rained the room leaked so it smelled bad it was horrible and we were in the process of fixing that all up so we only had two bedrooms downstairs that were functional and every other bedroom upstairs was was full well, as our daughter got older, it got to the point and, and my mother um, moved out into a, into a new place. Uh, my sister-in-law got married and moved out. So now all of a sudden, it was just the five of us and we had this house with a bunch of rooms. And so my wife and I were talking about what we could do with these rooms to make it most efficient for us. We decided, obviously, we'd gotten the room downstairs fixed and... <sighs> Way too much money was spent to get it fixed, and we had a sump pump put in, and all it, the sump pump's never needed has never ever fired up once we had it fixed properly. Turned out great. My father came in, who's quite brilliant with his little mini X. and he made short work of fixing the whole entire thing. So now we've got two really cool rooms next to each other. So the boys now weren't sharing a room. We put them in those two rooms, and we decided that Tacey was old enough now. She was in a big girl bed that she could have this third bedroom downstairs. And then we would have this buffer, right, where the kids would be downstairs, the mess would be contained, and then my wife, Carol, who loves to have a, a neat and tidy home at all times, um, and, and, and I joke about it all the time, that it feels like we live in a model home because she is, woo, she loves it. She loves it all clean. Um, if you looked at my desk right now, you'd realize that she and I don't necessarily agree on that point, point. and if you scanned my office real quick... I. A little clutter here and there doesn't really bother me. I don't see it. But her, it has to be completely tidy. So we had come up with this really great plan for our family, you know, air quotes, our family. This is what's best for everybody. We've decided. So the boys were thrilled. They now all had their own rooms and they'd never had their own rooms before. They'd always lived together growing up. They're only two years apart. Um, We dressed them the same growing up. They were at a a, a private school, so they had to wear uniforms anyway. But it was just really easy. They are always about the same size. And so they moved now for the first time into separate rooms. And we took our little girl who now for the first time in her life was not on the same floor with her parents. And she now was downstairs in a corner of the house that was furthest away from the stairs in a large room. It was the biggest room down there. And we thought that she would be thrilled to have the big room. But she felt quite isolated and she was a little scared, frankly, to be down there. And so we were trying to, we loved how things were set up now. I mean, we were thrilled that corner room where the crib was was now an office. So my wife could do all her creative, wonderful things. We had a guest room back. So when people came to visit, not that many ever did, but if they did, we had a guest room that became, you know, an exercise room and a storage room. And right, it's one of those rooms. And then we had like a nice little front room and we had all our kids downstairs and they had a big area to play. And it was great. We finally, this house was finally working for us but our poor little girl was terrified to be down in this little room and she didn't want to be there, but we really wanted her to be there because things were going so good. I mean, to have a whole, as, as a married couple, to have a whole floor to yourself as, as your living space is, is extraordinary, right? It's uh, quite something. And so we really wanted this to work out. Well, my wife wisely uh, sat down with our little girl and said, okay, well, what can we do Um, what can we do to make this room better for you? What can we do to make this room yours? And so we had a little discussion with her. And so she decided that she wanted um, to paint the room pink. Well, that's hard for us. We like to have all of the rooms in the house the same color. Uh, At least I do. I I don't like a bunch of different rooms with a bunch of different color. It just seems too chaotic for me in my mind. So I like all the house the same color. So now my daughter asked to have a room that was... Uh, pink right (laughs) she wanted a a great big pink room and um so my wife agreed with her and uh, they went out and chose a color and went in together and painted it together and um it, it she was thrilled and then asked her, you know, what else can we do to make this room yours? And she's like, well, you know, I'd like to have more of my toys moved in here. We had toys out in the center room, so she got to move some of her toys in there. So, And we made a little toy corner for her. We took uh, the closet and actually turned it into sort of a slash closet and a kind of a um, a little... A little house with a couple little windows and stuff so she could have kind of a playhouse in her room and then she chose a new I think comforter and things to kind of match the pink walls well folks when that was done she had now created something that was her creation that she had been part of that she had thought about that she had offered her opinions and had gone in as a team and created this sort of thing she loved that room Uh, She loved that she had the big room. She loved that she had her own space. She loved that she had been able to make that hers. And so going through this process of asking her questions about what we could do to make this better for her, listening to her opinions, kind of negotiating a little bit because she had a lot of ideas, but getting to a, a, a point where she felt like this was now hers and it solved her problems and frankly, it solved all of ours by allowing her room to to solve her own problem, to come up with things on her own. And that's the power of these types of questions. And then that's the power of discussing the opinions that they come back with and giving them more ideas to work on, share those opinions, and then negotiate and come up with something that works for everybody. That's the power of what we're able to do here with these types of questions. Now, this part of it is um, this next little section. Um, we've talked about questions and the power of questions. We've talked about how they stop the brain, how we can then uh, lead them to a, a very good, positive behavior that will benefit the lives. We've, we've asked them questions about how um, to solve problems for others, to create connection, to give them a dopamine, have, have them feel happy, have them feel like they're, they're valued, all of that. But there's another portion to raising a child that becomes difficult, and that is when you ask we need them sometimes to do things that they may not want to do. And um, yes, we can ask them questions of things, you know, dumb things like, why is it important to keep your room, room clean? Well, I personally find that to be a stupid question, where my wife might find it to be a very important question. So parents can have differing opinions on, on that. Um, and, and my opinion that it's not a very good question and my wife's opinion that it's an excellent question really matters not. We all have our opinions and our opinions are all important to us for whatever reason. Getting down to why that question is not important to me and why that question is important to Carol is really not necessarily important at this point in our lives. Um, but understanding that we have these preconceived sort of notions as to what's important and what isn't is and then we need to work together as a, a companionship um, to make sure that we are not unfairly and unjustly and unwisely giving these, you know, these opinions to our children. We're allowing them to form their own opinions. And so, but there are some times when things get out of control. So we have a very uh and Carol and I are very um we have a very solid front with a lot of things that we have talked about in our home. And one of those things is, you do not leave trash around the house. It drives me crazy, it drives her crazy, there's trash cans everywhere, there is no excuse to leave trash on the floor. Okay, and so sometimes we have bedrooms that aren't exactly what they should be, and they are a little bit messy, and they have trash, but if we see trash on the floor, my problem always was to overreact. We've told you this a hundred times, don't leave trash on the floor, or whatever. Um, Instead, we started asking questions, why is it important not to have trash on the floor? And then we began to share with them why it's important to not have trash on the floor. For a variety of reasons, it's important to not have trash on the floor, to show that you have respect for those that are providing a place for you, to not provide um, tasty morsels for rodents and insects and stuff to come in and infiltrate your home, right? There's a lot of reasons to not leave trash on the floor and leave trash around, and especially if you live in different parts of the country, right? You need to be somewhat careful. It's important to keep your mess cleaned up and, and contained. And so those are the types of questions that you would ask to kind of help this behavior. Another way to do it, going with the room, the cleaning of a room, and this is, a, this is interesting. Most of us, and again, this is a hard one for me, and this is a hard one for most parents, When we see a messy room, it's easy to just say, and I use this just as an example, you can say a a lawn that's not mowed, you can say a dog that's not fed, whatever it is, that clothes that aren't folded, doesn't matter. But if we see something, we want to say, hey, and and give an order, get that room cleaned up, fold those clothes, go mow that lawn, right? Because we're the authorities and we wanna get them going. A better way to do it, to help them develop some kind of sense of choice and consequences to say, hey, how long is it going to take you to mow that lawn? You can leave it open-ended. If they're not very good with open-ended questions and you know the kid, there's some kids that just aren't, you could say something like, hey, can you have that uh, lawn mowed in the next two hours? And give them some leeway there. Can you have your room cleaned in the next two hours? And, and then if they say yes, then you're done at that moment, but you do have to now set a timer, right? And that's where it becomes somewhat difficult as parents to maintain and monitor these things because then we have to follow up on them and that means that we've now created work for ourselves. But depending on how we want our youth to develop, this is an important part of the game. After those two hours, if the job has not been done, then it's time to go back and say, hey, um, why didn't you clean your room in those two hours? and give them a question for them to give you some kind of an answer. Now this is where we get into a problem with either excuse or reason. Excuses are reasons why they didn't get it where they're trying to blame other people and reasons are simply just the honest truth. And we always want the honest truth. So we would much rather have we would much rather have them say because I didn't want to or because I was building Legos or because this, something that's concrete and we can say, "Well, okay," Uh, that was your choice, and now you don't. Your Legos are gone, for until the room is clean or whatever. So there's some sort of a consequence to them making a choice and giving you a reason. Um, if there's any sort of excuse that comes out of it, where they're trying the blame game and pushing it to someplace else, and they're not taking responsibility, we need to put an end to that. There's some there's some research out there that. Um, Young people, there's some, and it was from, I've got them here in my notes somewhere. Let me see. Uh, Let's see if I can find it here. We'll keep going. Um, But essentially, the research is that um, when we allow our children to give excuses, when we allow anybody to give them excuses, they actually develop a very poor self-image. So it doesn't do them any good. They're essentially blaming and not taking responsibility and that sends their mind into a place of real shame and shame's not a good neighborhood to hang out in and we don't want our children there. So when we notice that they're making an excuse, essentially blaming some other situation or whatever other than themselves for whatever caused them to not get this thing done, we need to stop that behavior and say, no, 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 no. Why didn't you not get it done? And we need to, if they want to give us a reason, that's great. And, and if we want to help them for the first little bit, then that that's great too. We want them to be honest and we want them to take responsibility. And if we want them to give us a reason, because I didn't want to, because I didn't think it was important, because I thought drawing here would be more fun, because I wanted to play video games with my friends, we want them to state the case, the reality of what their decision was, and then we can go and say, okay, well, that's not what you said you would do. Um, So now what are we going to do? Um, You can either, if you're a parent that likes to take things away to get them to do stuff, great, that's a very effective way to do it. Um, They will usually get it done pretty quickly um, especially if they've given you the real reason they didn't want to clean the room. So if it is, I wanted to play video games with my friends, you can say, okay, well, I'm taking the video game console until that's done. You can have it back when it's done. So now there's a real result, a real consequence to them not doing what they agreed to do. And they did agree to do it. And we need to point out, you agreed to do this and you didn't do it. So now the consequence is that thing that you decided to do instead of doing this is what I'm going to take away. So there's direct correlation to whatever punishment is coming. Very clear for a child to get that and understand that. Very easy. There's also those folks that are much more patient than I am, and bless their hearts, I think this is wonderful, that say, okay, then how long you know, can you have it done in the next hour? And if you don't have it done in the next hour, this is the consequence. I will take whatever they said the reason was away. And then you give them another little bit to go. I... Uh, You know, it may be a better way to go. I don't know. I cannot stand that. Um, My children know that if they agree to do something and then they don't do it, I just stick out my hand. And when I stick out my hand, that means give me your cell phone. This baby ends right now. Um, I don't ask, if they give me a great reason and whatever, that's totally fine. But I know that they always want to be connected to their cell phones. And their friends and whatever. So that is a very quick way for me to say, okay, well, you didn't do what you said you would do. And so now the consequence is hand me your cell phone. Uh, they will go right to work. They will want that little device back so quickly that uh, it's wonderful. It's a really effective way But again, we don't want to just take something away right off the bat or yell and scream at them to do something. If we can take that extra step of negotiating with them and asking them, hey, can you have this done here and getting a positive reply from them, um, they may say no. And then you could say, can you do it in three hours? And they may say yes to that. Um, But we need to be firm and make sure that they stick to it and then we have to follow up. And that becomes a very, very good way to get them to, uh, be, to create better um, behavior through understanding that there are consequences um, there are consequences to decisions and that's a great way to do it so that is it on part six of this asking really good questions and helping them understand how to think outside the box one last story comes to mind and I'll share it really quickly I was out on a drive with my son once and he was kind of in trouble a little bit. He had been a little um, back chalky to his mother and had not accomplished some things that he was supposed to and um, he wasn't willing to talk about it. And so my idea was I was going to get in the car, right, because it's hard for them to get away from you when they're in the car. All the, all I have had the talk the big talk on the birds and the bees with my children all in the car because they can't run away so (laughs) anyway as we were driving around we just sat in silence and I said something like hey bud we need to talk about this and when you're ready to talk I'm here and then we kept driving well I probably drove around for three hours or so he fell asleep a couple times and when he woke up we're still driving and he was obviously exasperated but we kept going until he finally started to talk about it and we had a good talk we talked through it and whatever and then on the way home I happened to notice a homeless person and I said hey bud what do you think we should do for him and he looked at him for a little bit and then was silent for like 10 minutes and we kept kind of kept driving and he came back and said dad I don't know I don't know what we could do for him I was really thrilled with the fact that he had actually taken 10 minutes to sit around and think about it I followed that up with hey bud what uh You had some ideas. What were some of those ideas? And he threw them out there and we talked about them and we went through them. And and then I said, do you think it's important to help people like that? Yes, I do. So, what did that type of question? And we'll frame this up right now. What do these questions do? Well, when we ask our child a question, it stops their brain, and their brain starts to look for a behavior. So, we can then frame the question with a kind of behavior that we know that if they developed, they would be able. That that would benefit their lives for a long term. Why is it important to be kind? Why is it important to provide service? Why is it important to be polite? Why is it important to be honest? And ask them a question and let them talk about that particular behavior, the one that we would like to see in them. We should not ask, why is it important to ha- to be a doctor? That's cruel. Don't force them into anything. Please, please don't do that to these young minds. Um, but then allow them to come back with their opinion, which is wonderful. That gives them a dopamine hit. So we've asked them a question. We stopped their brain. Um, we then asked, then uh, they've offered their opinion. We then validate that opinion. We talk more about the problem, ask them another question that again gives them the ability to to give an opinion, a dopamine hit, their self-esteem goes up because their opinion is important. And then if the questions are formed properly, this is helping them um, think about solving problems in these opinions, right? Which is developing the neural network to problem solving, which is again, one of the big points of this whole series. And then, on top of that, we're getting them to think about other people and developing neural networks about thinking about other other people and their problems. And that creates connectivity. So, we have done a really amazing job with some of these super intelligent questions and helping them become happier, passionate um, problem solvers. And that will do great things for us going forward. Thanks for joining me here in part six of Raising an Entrepreneur. Hopefully it's been helpful. Questions are so powerful. The opportunity of them to give opinions, the opportunity for us to have discussions with them and to let them know that we appreciate and understand and love that they have these opinions and that these opinions are important are so wonderful for them. And then the opportunity to negotiate and help them understand that there are consequences for their choices And then reinforcing those choices with either positive or negative consequences that are are tied directly to whatever that decision was. And to avoid allowing them to give us any sort of excuses, but to let them really give us a reason, their reason, why they chose not to do it or why they chose to do it. And then either congratulate them on their reason or have a further discussion on why they didn't and then bring in the consequence. (sighs) Good show. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Tomorrow, part seven. And then on Wednesday, part eight, and we will wrap this thing up on how to raise an entrepreneur.